envy of four is not like, oh, I want what other people have and I'm going to get what other people have. It's like an, it's an inner sense of not like my, my outer life is not congruent with my felt sense of my, my identity, my inner life. And so it's not like, like, I think fours rarely envy other people in any meaningful sense. Like they're, they feel like they're better and superior to other people and hate themselves you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's very self, the envy is super self-referential. It's not like, oh, they have a better car than me. Yeah. Or I want yeah. what they have. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-president with five-wing, four-five-eight trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pressed sexual nine with one nine seven four trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-pressed with eight five four fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pressed social three wing four with a three six nine trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Like if you read between the lines, like the the viewer might passively absorb an idea about what the types are or look like. So like the uh, one, for example, you get the feeling that okay, it's the the social the, the counter type is a sexual one that is explicitly angry, and so then you you infer that one is normally not like they they repress their anger or something, and that's what they say. The count the tendency of the one to repress anger and impulses and. I don't think repression, they are not repressing their anger. Yeah, they're justified Uh, in their anger. Yeah, they're justifying it and they're they're rationalizing it, but they don't repress it. They're angry and they might call it something else, but they're angry. It's not repression. And so like these kinds of terms and words, like, I mean, or the idea that just nines are lazy based on the counter type being the not lazy one, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of reading between the lines of what the type is, uh, and why the counter is counter is is kind of it's it's fucked up, yeah. And then like yeah, they, God, there we could do a whole other thing on just bad ideas <laughs> in this book. All right, uh, welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. We are talking why counter types are dumb, part two. But for, before we get into it, uh, we are still doing the love line. We're asking you to call in anonymously if you prefer. Uh, talk about your type and your kinks, uh, your sexual kinks, your sexual fantasies, what you're into, um, or what types that you're sexually attracted to. Uh, any any weird sexual thing we are down for. Uh, so, Emiko, can you please share what the uh, number for us? And the number is 323-696-0647. And also, you can email in a voice note to bhepodcast at gmail.com if you prefer not to leave a voicemail or a video if they want to get real personal (laughs) no we love to watch demonstration video yeah Yeah. (laughs) sometimes words can't encapsulate it you know so uh we last last call we did uh eight through three today we're going four five six and seven counter types uh i was listening to the recording of the last call we did and uh, you know, whenever we do these calls, the the four of us, your your four uh, Enneagram e girls, uh, we like, you know, we just we don't prepare <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah. We just kind of start talking, and so 
Like, I didn't really have, like, gathered thoughts about what I wanted to say about the countertype idea, and especially how they're written in this book, which we're looking at Dietrich Chestnut's The Complete Enneagram. But, you know, thinking back and, and reading the book more, there are so many uh, ideas or implications that you either they're either explicit or you you gather from reading between the lines about this the types based on how countertype is framed. And what I mean by that is um, we were just speaking to how the countertype, the supposed countertype of um, eight is the social eight, and how this is the countertype in in part because it is not. Um, it goes against what 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 they refer to as the antisocial quality of eight, and I just think like that kind of idea or or the idea that the social nine is the countertype because it's the active nine. What you read between that is that oh, the normal thing for eight is to be antisocial, or the normal thing for nine is to be lazy. And as we talked about last time, uh, you know there there are busy nines of all instincts, uh, and that you know eights like are not antisocial by default. Like eights are just like you're you know any other person. Uh, so these kind of weird implications start to classify the types in ways that are not only really limiting and, and off the mark and kind of like uh, really bad cartoons, but um, and, and causes a lot of mistyping, but they're also kind of like, like insulting and, and they have a, they're, it's, it's very hard for people. I think my experience has been that people who absorb these ideas have a very hard time unpacking the ideas or learn or moving beyond in terms of, of learning further. Uh, you know, the first impression of things always sticks, but these, these uh, kind of bad ideas do have a kernel of something real that sort of like resonate with something real, but they're just bad enough that they like, and, and kind of clunky enough ideas that people get really absorbed by them. Yeah. I mean, just look at the response to this episode that people have had and everyone has a story of how, these descriptions really set them on a wrong path of understanding the Enneagram. Like this is kind of a significant book in terms of um, notoriety and in terms of how the teacher behind it and everything. So if you're new to the Enneagram and you read something like this and you're taking it seriously, you're going to be lost for a long time, you Mm -hmm. know, until you Mm -hmm. find something that really, you're going to think this is accurate. But I think for me, it was the eight descriptions were so cartoonish and so ridiculous that I couldn't take any of the books seriously. Like I read the eight descriptions for sexual A and, and I was like, whoever wrote this is completely like, there's no way this is describing a real person. I don't know anyone like this. So what is this describing? So, I mean, you can go through the descriptions for all the countertypes and say something similar about how off, off the wall, these things are. One thing I wanted to say about like self pres nine and the whole, Laziness thing. Um, I mean, plenty of us know workaholic self-pres nines, and there's even in Japan. You guys might have heard of it. Um, there's even a word for these guys that just work until they literally die. Yes. And what? those guys, a bunch of those guys, are I guarantee you self-pres nines. Yeah. And mm-hmm. part of it is with nine, there is a sort of like a. Um, I don't know, abstract relationship, let's say to the idea of inertia with nine, it's like, you know, if it's still, it's still, but if it's, if it starts, if the ball starts rolling, the ball can just keep going kind of forever. And that's Mm -hmm. another part of nine is, and I know much, many more nines that just keep going forever and are super busy and super like overscheduled 
and don't stop and they're hyperactive really in, in numerous ways. And they uh, won't even I, notice it. Oh, and they won't even notice it. It's, yeah. it's like autopilot. And it's, yeah. again, it's, which is part of the, you know, the inertia metaphor, it's just going and it's just, it, it's like, it's the being is just moving. You know what I mean? It's not conscious of it almost. It mm. it kind of it kind of reminds me like like uh, specifically self prize nines kind of reminds me of the rule of like the object will keep moving until an outside force stops <laughs> or yeah. like the opposite rule you know like it, yeah. they're not going to start moving until an outside force acts upon and, it and and somewhat that's some of what I think holds back some nines is because you have this sense in your being in your body. That once you do mobilize on something, it's you are not going, going to stop. To stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's either all in or all out. Right. I yeah. mean, it's why you have nines that have become presidents of the United States, which is an <laughs> insane kind of not stopping, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's an insane rise and roll, you know, to do that. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. nonstop. Mm -hmm. For their whole lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last, last point before we dive in is another big issue with this material is that uh, we get a lot of like, you know, the panels are a big teaching technique of the, uh, the narrative tradition school. That's the school founded by Helen Palmer and David Daniels. And they're, you know, they're very much in the Naranjo, like influenced by Naranjo's ideas. And so panels and watching people of supposedly of the same type speak on a panel in front of a group and asking them questions it's like the idea is to get a, a feel for the type from the the mouths of people who are accurately typed but the problem with these sub these counter types and the problem with subtypes which we listened to our last episode to get that distinction uh is that their people are usually wildly inaccurately typed and just like you know emeka you're pointing out with the um quote from the so supposed sexual eight uh in the last episode i just read the sexual four quote uh in, in the complete enneagram and it's like this isn't real person <laughs> but but it, but it feels like people are are tailoring their words to match the description it yes. doesn't feel like it's a real person and mm -hmm. so watching the panels it's like you get an, an immense amount of wrongly typed people and so you got you have an audience absorbing oh this is what x type looks like and it and or this is what they feel like this is what they speak to and I mean, it's amazing watching panels on YouTube, for example. Like I've been in real life workshops where there's panels, but just like on YouTube, uh, you can spot like, oh, that person's that, that person's that, that person's that. They're all almost, almost all entirely mistyped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, that's a big thing. So one of our, our favorites is getting to type four, which is the, uh, what we love, the self-preservation <laughs> four is the counter type. Uh, so this, this word that Naranjo gave is, Tenacity. I'm, I'm reading excerpts from the, there's like a, a list at the beginning of the book of little sort of summaries of the uh, subtype combinations, but then there's longer sections later in the book. But this is the self preservation four is long suffering as the counter type of the fours. Self pres fours are stoic in the face of their inner pain. They don't share it with <laughs> others as much as the other two fours. This is a person who learns to tolerate pain and to do without as a way of earning love. <clears throat> instead of dwelling in envy self-preservation fours act out their envy by working hard to get what others have what? and they lack more masochistic than melodramatic these fours demand a lot of themselves have a strong need to endure and have a passion for effort 
Okay, there's more because I was curious as to why this little section didn't have the sunny four, which is the thing that people reference a lot of the time. So I just uh, looked at the full self-preservation four description to find the bit about the sunniness. Oh yeah, go for it. For it. Let me let me find it. So this says this four subtype resembles a one or a three. Self-preservation fours focus on autonomy, working hard, and may look like a one. Um, However, this four feels a wider range of emotions, more ups and downs than ones. Um, and then it says they can look like threes, sub, like especially self-preservation threes, and that they work to achieve a sense of security and may be anxious. And then interestingly, this subtype can also look like a seven, <laughs> <laughs> which is in some ways the opposite of type four, because some self-preservation fours express a need to be light. With all the enduring and efforting these fours do, they may at times display the high energy characteristics of characteristic of sevens, and they may have a need for fun and playfulness as an escape from having to tough things out all the time. This but being liked isn't really specific to seven. Yeah, this may account for the fact that there are more fours who do not seem as melancholy as others, fours that appear more sunny and lighthearted. However, these fours can be distinguished from sevens in their greater access to their emotions. So that's where that shit came from. So, I mean, that like to me is like, uh, you know, you've got some kind of like ice sculpture and then you're just like flame throwing it so that it just all melts into nothing. You know, it's like, yes. it's yes. like a big wax sculpture that you're just, <laughs> everything's just blending and melting. Cause it's like, it, you know, they could look like this, they could look like this, but there's a little bit more emotion than those. And then they're, they're hard like this. And it's just like, what's it mean? Like, like there's nothing in it. There's no substance. There's no core there. You're going to scoop up so many people with that right, right. there. Mm -hmm. So My, they can okay. look like a one. They can look like a three. They can also look like a seven. All right. What? <laughs> what type looks like a four, seven, a one, and a three, right? Like, <laughs> like that's four different types you're hitting. So that's just a big, and that's a big amount of nothing. And I mean, just that, de that description could fit with so many other types potentially too. The other problem is self-reporting, right? Like right. when you read something like, I don't know, experiencing more emotions, anybody can imagine themselves or see themselves truly as having a lot of emotion or too many emotions or da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I mean, that there too is another big not a four thing where, uh, you know, like fours do see themselves having like strong feelings, but not a lot of, not a range. You know, it's like heavy or more heavy or really heavy. You know, it's like there's gradations of the same. It's like, you know, four is like hyper specific, hyper focused, uh, hyper limit. Like the, like a unhealthy four is a very limited four. Like their emotional range just so collapses into like a very fine point of, you know, despair. But yeah, this. So my understanding is that Naranjo originally called the term he used for uh, self-pres four was reckless, dauntless. Yes. And for a while, people were teaching self-pres four as like this kind of eight-ish four of like, yep. like a biker rough <laughs> type. And then it morphed into this like, oh, I, like I suffer, but I don't talk about it. And so, uh, and I work hard, which is like, do you know a four? <laughs> like they can't work, you know, <laughs> they're not very functional. So it's like, you know, it, 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 both the self-pres uh, four and the, her sexual four sound like diet threes to me. Yeah. 
You know, like self press force act out their envy by working hard to get what others have and they lack, which is like first the envy of four is not like, oh, I want what other people have and I'm going to get what other people have. It's like an it's an inner sense of not like my my outer life is not congruent with my felt sense of my my identity, my inner life. And so it's not like like I think fours rarely envy other people in any meaningful sense, like they're they feel like they're better and superior to other people and hate themselves you know at the same time mm-hmm. yeah. so it's, it's very self the envy is super self-referential it's not like oh they have a better car than me yeah or i want yeah. what they have right and then i mean what, what drives me crazy about these descriptions is that i think in every enneagram thing that like like you need to build from a core out right like you need to there needs to be a coherency between like well, how does the passion function and how is the uh, you know, the object relations and, you know, how, like, how are they all related in a, in a coherent whole? And this is just like self-press for, this is a person who learns to tolerate pain and to do without as a way of earning love. Like, how is that love earning at all? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, what you see from people like who have read these descriptions is so many nines who feel the need to, they feel like they're, you know, there's like a suffering inside and pain and loneliness, but they need to put on a, a positive face so you get this sunny four or whatever people call it is like the four that doesn't show their pain and it's like they're image types they're reactive image types they're showing their there's an image representing their inner state constantly so like self-pressed fours are not less uh showing you shit you know that it might have a little bit more even more self-referentiality because they're not an instinct that's relational like sexual or social it's interesting how people fixated so much on the sunny and lighthearted aspect of this description. Mm-hmm. And to say that I'm the four that doesn't look like a four, I'm <laughs> sunny and I'm lighthearted. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> this, is, this is so moronic. It's so stupid. <laughs> I just can't get over how fucking dumb this whole book is. Just <laughs> incredible. <laughs> but this, how does this make any coherent sense that there would be a subtype of four that looks nothing like a four. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's this bending over backwards matrix style, like Neo moving to make something fit that doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like other fours, self-preservation fours feel a need to suffer in the unconscious hope that this will bring them love and acceptance. Like what does that, that doesn't make any sense. Fours are not suffering for love and acceptance. That's, that's so think- bizarre. I think part of that is um, the author's projection that everybody at a typological level even is looking for love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. there. If you listen to the lecture that Naranjo gave that contains all these descriptions, they're pretty short for each one. So what she did is she took those you know, short descriptions and then flesh them out and created these descriptions. That's why these longer descriptions are a lot more trashy than the shorter ones that we read initially. That's her filling in the gaps mm-hmm. of her own. Like, that's why it has a lot of this attachment to bullshit in here um, because the Naranjo's descriptions weren't that long. So this is, this is just garbage that she's thrown in here. That doesn't make any sense. I kind of feel like we should, I mean, do another episode even going through more of these subtypes just because like, I mean, I like, God, the sexual four, I mean, it's so <laughs> yeah, bad. Let's look at that. Let's look at it. Let's riff on it a little bit. 
So, all right, so I'm going to read the little blurb. Uh, sexual four, competition. Sexual ah. fours make others suffer as an unconscious way of trying to rid themselves of painful feelings of deficiency. In denying their suffering and becoming more shameless than shameful, whatever that means, they express their needs more and can be demanding of others. In seeking to be the best, they express envy in, in its manifestation is competition. They express an envy that wants, unconsciously turning their pain at inner lack into of in, at in, their pain at inner lack into feelings of anger about not getting what they need from others. I think so this pulls in a lot of sevens. Yeah, and, I mean it's diet three. Like what? Mm-hmm. What about competition here? Is any like where is the distinction from from three at all? Except, I guess the feeling of being angry. Mm-hmm. And also, there's zero about sexuality, sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's zero about needing to be like interesting and captivating. Um, and then, man, like the longer sexual four description is hilarious because that, like, just like the sexual eight had this like horrible quote. <laughs> um, so this is like this is just a little bit of the quote from Roger, a sexual four speaks. Instead of feeling anything vulnerable in my personal life, I will often go to anger. Instead of experiencing myself as ordinary or less than in my professional life, I will often go to competition, aggression, or even hostility. I don't relate to descriptions of the oversensitive complaining social for. I go after my enemies and perceived adversaries who I feel threatened by directly rather than hanging out too long in discomfort. Like what for doesn't just fucking steep in their misery? And what is this thing about like in my professional life? Like what fucking professional life does a sexual four have? You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously. But for real though, it's like, I mean, sexual four, it's like, I don't know. It's such an obvious like longing for the beloved archetype. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. so obviously like a vampiric sexual type obsessive. Non-functioning. Love. Yeah. Like Phantom of the Opera shit, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's like just a to me, my, I know it's my type, but it's like it feels like it's so easily grasped as an archetype, and to just do this like weird three-ish thing is very bizarre to me. It's I think it's trying to relay what sexual four would be to like the professional market, like you feel competitive with your colleagues and in your personal life, then it's not three-ish because you you are. Uh, I want to be one of a kind. (laughs) Yeah. Because threes don't want to be one of a kind. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) No. Yeah. We. (laughs) They just want to be cogs in a machine. So because I want to be one of a kind and I feel competitive with my colleagues, I'm a sexual four. So. Well, yeah, it's making, I feel like this whole book is making types, humans more palatable to the Mm. capitalistic society we live in. But in doing, in trying to do so, the descriptions don't even seem realistic. Right. How yeah. could you teach this at some kind of corporate event? Any of this stuff. And like the sexual four, like that does not seem like a, a real human being. How are you going to function in a workplace as a social, you know, like a sexual eight or a sexual four, like as what is it describes? <laughs> so like one of the things that I uh, remember of reading, I think it was, I think it was in any type structures by Naranjo, but it's been a long time, but I remember his sexual four and it just sounded like somebody with a really intense borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody just like completely unhinged. It was more like sexual type. Like it was more, um, you know, like longing for a love object, but like, so this seems like have taken some of that weird vindictive 
borderline splitting reaction and and try to turn it into a type that t- t- preserves the word competition so like you know sexual force do have a competitive quality it's like i want to be the most interesting unique only one you've ever loved deepest love kind of thing you know it's like i want you to be obsessed with me but it's not like i'm gonna go do excel in my career mm-hmm. uh, and, and then another the aspect at paperwork right and then another aspect <laughs> of this is just like the anger which is like i mean all fours have frustrated anger but in the book they explicitly compare sexual for anger to um they may express envious anger as a way to establish or assert power when they feel inferior at a deeper level, which can be a way to manipulate situations to their advantage. This kind of anger was the impulse behind the French Revolution. I envy the rich, what? so organized revolution. It's like that I just want to f- explode. Like that is so – first of all, that's social instinct. Mm-hmm. Second of all, that's not that's not what the French Revolution was about. Like, <laughs> it, it, it just, like everything is so wrong about that. I, I know. <laughs> uh, wow! And the idea that fours would have enough like consistency to, to lead organize a revolution. an entire revolution. Right. Right. <laughs> Anything else about fours? This is like overload of dummy shit. This is. <laughs> incredible all right let's do uh they they have yeah. the the attachment type is the top and then the two two mm, uh, hexad yeah. types so six for the head center so all right um the let's see counter type sexual six strength slash beauty sexual sixes express fear by going against fear by becoming strong and intimidating trusting themselves more than others these sixes have an inner programming that when you are afraid, the best defense is a good offense. They take a powerful stance, both in what they do and how they look, as well as a way of holding the enemy at a distance. Their anxiety is allayed through skill and readiness in the face of an attack. Again, it doesn't sound like a real person. I mean, you could, you could say that this is describing when a six could be in a, a, when they're like swinging to the counterphobic side of things, but which every six could do. Yeah. But um, to, to, to say that there's a type of six that's always inhabiting this space all the time, it, that's not real. No. That's not right. real at all. And it, to say that this is only exclusive to sexual sixes is, is also not real. Every, every six can be counterphobic. Well, and also, like, uh, all right, you got strength and beauty. Like, what is that trying to, like, my understanding, and Ronho was really speak, originally speaking to, like, um, strength and beauty as a way to attract, like, you know, like the, the six might go to extremes of, of both masculine and feminine display, like that, a, a sexual six male might be kind of macho or something, mm-hmm. but then also have these kind of feminine qualities. And it's like, I don't know if that's, you know, still accurate, but I think that's more on the money than this idea that, uh, it's just like, so then there needs to be there needs to be an iteration of that around attraction for right. each of the sexual types. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah of the sexual uh, neuro- sexual type Naranjo descriptions, this one felt like it had some shade of the truth in it, even though it wasn't really describing a real person. Like I could see, um, I think we've talked about um, trying to figure out how strength and beauty related to sixes, and I could see how. Um, sixers are always playing on that contradiction of the strength and vulnerability in their display. At least sexual sixes are. Yeah, there's something vulnerability plus toughness in six kind of straddling those two lines. And so 
you know, maybe Naranjo was hitting on something with that, but to to make this be like every sexual six is counterphobic and to des- to describe this like overly aggressive, you know, personality, that's not that's not real. But there's maybe an aspect of that in right. just about every six. And so and this is probably not as bad as the other ones. <laughs> so like what I wrote for mine, um, you know, this is just an excerpt of, of what I wrote. So there's more to it. But um you know, sexual sixes are looking for a chemistry they can rely on to be sustainable and energizing. Um, they may project uh, swagger with a tougher, dramatic, hard-to-handle attitude, yet they often display a great deal of unexpected vulnerability, sensitivity, and sentimentality, needing a great deal of assurance that their partnership is secure and that they're still enticing and beautiful. They may have a kind of outspoken independent street, which is often starkly tempered by a need to be comforted and supported by a partner. Um, generally, Speaking, sexual sixes have a great deal of concern for both their physical attractiveness and the appeal of their personality. Their insecurity can lead to compensating through showing themselves off in big gestures of affection. Uh, despite doubts of confidence, insecurity arises on whether or not their partner will be faithful and interested in them when potential arrivals are around. Uh, they may start fights with perceived sexual rivals who, in reality, may have zero interest in their partner. It may be difficult for sexual sixes to fully relax around their partner, which can mean being, mean being on too much needing to impress or seduce in order to capture attention. Uh, so, there, you know, it's like y'all can decide if you'll feel it's accurate or not, but, you know, it's like anxiety, six-ish anxiety around attraction. And if my partner wants me, and is this still good? And there's still, you know, is this still a thing happening here, you know? Yeah. As a reactive type, I can relate to that. I mean, I may not express any sort of concerns that I have, but they're still there. And so it, on some level, it's like bringing realness into like, how real is this attraction? Right. And, um, you know, it's a head energy sort of thing. So it's never really settled. So there's going to be like always wanting to check in on whether if this is for real or not, you know? Right. Yeah. Any, anything else about sexual sex? Um, hmm. I think one of the things that I, if I remember correctly now that we sort of related to with uh, the six attraction strategy is that there are sort of these um, playing on archetypal modes of attraction, like maybe mm-hmm. because it's like as an attachment type, you have to, and if you're a sexual type, it's like, I need to find, hang my head on something that I know right. is going to be recognizable and, and recognizably attractive. Mm. And so um, I think I was watching something video series on YouTube where they were playing on or they were showing examples of different um hot girl hot guy tropes they use in movies and things like that and one of them is like the hot girl next door and i could imagine if you were a six or maybe just any attachment type and you were a sexual type it's like you know when you're a teenager or whatever you're trying to hang your hat on like what is going to be my thing how am i going to be alluring and you know some sixes might go with the punk route you know like some kind of recognizable sort of um image or style that i know that people are going to instantly get and um you know so that's that's something i see is like i think um on the type six call i think beth had talked about like her hairstyle being one of those things where she knew that she could cut her hair short and it would like be edgy but also like you know like get a certain kind of attention yeah feminine but it's it's a interesting thing where i think maybe as an attachment type sixes can be playing on certain archetypes of attraction. So maybe um, that's a way to look at strength and beauty. Yeah. This is one of the, the round hole phrases that I was like, 
there's probably something there that yeah. actually is. Right. All right. Uh, five. Let's see. Countertype is the sexual five. Confidence is the title. Sexual fives express avarice through a search for ideal exemplars of absolute love. <laughs> <laughs> this is a five with a romantic streak. The name reflects their need to find a partner who fulfills an ideal of trust. Uh, the most emotionally sensitive of the fives, they suffer more, resemble type four more, have overt, more overt desires. They have a vibrant inner life that may, may be expressed through artistic creation, but are still cut off from others in many ways. So the other fives don't have vibrant inner lives? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sexual is about desires, all desires. People reference this one a lot. A lot of nines oh. reference this one because if you are someone who mm -hmm. likes to keep secrets, then you're a sexual five. Or you're very romantic. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the other one that drives me crazy. Um, is like like people yeah. who identify with this will often just be like, like, oh. God, I just have the highest ideal of love. And it's like, but look at the relationship you're in. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> but then... Yeah, it'd be this sort of like um, getting off on one's own depth or something like that based on, yeah, like how, how, how much you love love or something like that. And I mean, I don't know, this is just so remote from sexual fives. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with that one. Other problem is the word confidence. They mean it to be like confidant, that kind right. of thing. And mm -hmm. people are using, they're just seeing that word confidence and then thinking this is the confident five right right really yeah wow. I've, I've seen that, that a bunch <laughs> i got i got booted out of a group just for bringing that up <laughs> how dare you make sense david how dare you <laughs> <laughs> one of the only times i actually made sense <laughs> yeah, the, Otherwise, you're just clear. yeah exactly uh so you know one of the things about um like sexual five is that like if you don't yeah if you don't understand five well or you don't understand the sexual instinct well then of course this type seems like it doesn't make sense and you have to make some elaborate thing up that fits it but you know like for the sexual five it's like they're looking for chemistry but there's this and their their mind you know and their their thoughts and their interests are sort of the 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 sexual display but there's a kind of there's a way that five feels like I can do attraction and I can do chemistry and I can do this like inner world that we get into together. But uh, I can't really fulfill almost any other demands like I, I'm not equipped like it's like like, yeah, I'll have this like intensity with you, but um, I can't live with you and uh, I can't have a normal job and like I can't do this. And there's all this like limiting energy around. Like just siphoning everything into a kind mm -hmm. of a, like my my mind can work for chemistry, but I get like I can't branch out otherwise. And like one of the things about avarice that people overlook or don't understand is how much avarice is like a control strategy to keep things in like like in a manageable space. It's like mm -hmm. certain topics of conversation or uh, certain ways of being are like okay because for whatever reason the five doesn't feel anxious there, but it's like a you know, it's like an exact, there's a control thing that's, that's, that's rooted in that line eight that five has. It's like, you know, outside of this thing, I, I might demean it or just check out or, you know, or like, you know, withdraw physically or just like, or belittle it or something like that. But I keep things in a limited space. And so for the, the sexual five, it's like, I'm de anticipating the demands of relationship before demands are even made. And so there's sort of like, um, yeah, like where I can be is very limited as a f sexual five. 
very limited avenues of engagement. Right. You know, and at least my experience of Fives is that they have, you know, they're going to have their a few things that they're interested in. And if we're talking about those things, they're fully there. Right. And if it's not that, they're not there. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know that's. And so I guess with the sexual drive, I mean, we had uh, your friend uh, Karina, right, mm. on uh, as a sexual five. And as a sexual type, it's going to be like, you know, these, these things that I'm interested in are my hooks. Yeah. And if you're into the same stuff, then we can, together, our chemistry can maybe take us somewhere that we haven't been to before. But outside of that... Like, I'm not a functional person. Like, this is what I can do. We can do this chemistry thing together and we can, you know, have some kind of like psychedelic experience together, right. or, you know, and that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's not a great recipe for romance there. <laughs> say. A kind of romance, a very limited type of romance. Yeah, exactly. But not, <laughs> n- no. Yeah, I'm not going to be normal. Like a sexual five isn't going to be normal with you uh just you know talking about whatever you know it's just a very limited uh fives are just very limited in terms of what they're willing to engage right so yeah another aspect of this is like um you know a lot of people like like maybe 50 percent of people if you polled them would be like yeah i really believe in ideal love you know like they Mm -hmm. most people see that and then you know so part of these descriptions annoy me because uh, they go into like very like either like this is what I think about or this is what I'm interested in or like very surface traits. They, they're they're lacking a structural understanding of the inside in the guts of the type, and they're not building from the guts out. And to be like, you know, how am I like? How does sexual instinct and the five structure actually come together? And if there's a gap in that understanding, then it's like I need to go back and examine how the sexual instinct works and what five energy actually is. You know. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the thing that they emphasize here is how much this per, this type is searching for an idealized form of love, but has trust issues. And I'm just like, how how is that specific to sexual five? Like, yeah, doesn't a six have trust issues? Mm-hmm. Right. Who would have more trust issues than a six? <laughs> doesn't or an eight? eight you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is just a weird thing to throw on here. Like, trust issues. Right. It just, it sounds like it's written from a point of view of a person trying to imagine what it must be like in another person's head without ever asking that person what it's actually like in their head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what this whole book sounds like. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm almost getting, um, you know, like you've been exposed to so much stupidity that you're getting desensitized to the amount of stupidity that's coming your way. It's like, it's like you have run out of things to say. Yeah, you're kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like it was, it's the same thing. It's like, well, that's completely wrong. Yeah. All right. Last social six, social seven. Social seven. Yeah. So the counter type subtype of seven is the social seven sacrifice. Sec- social seven. As the counter type, social sevens go against gluttony through conscientious efforts to be of service to others. Conscious of wanting to avoid exploiting others, they have a need to be good and pure and to sacrifice their own needs in supporting the needs of others. They have a passion for being seen as, a, as good for the sacrifice of their own desires. They express an aesthetic ideal and make a virtue of getting by on little. 
They express idealism and enthusiasm as a way of making themselves feel active and valued in the world. So one thing I will say is that like, you know, one of my best friends, Colleen, is a social seven. And like I've known social sevens that really like like they really do have it. I mean, just like the social instinct, like a sense of mission and purpose and wanting mm-hmm. to impact others in a positive way. And you get that with that that seven optimism with the social instinct. Like, yeah, of course, there is a kind of a wanting to contribute value to the world or other people. But this it like go against gluttony through conscientious efforts. A lot of the implication of this description is that they are just trying to temper uh, a natural gluttony streak or something uh, and overcorrecting for it. So it almost is like they're wanting Mm. to impact others is not really genuine. And they have a need to be good and pure. uh, Let's see, they conscious of wanting to exploit others. They need to be good, be good and pure to sacrifice their own needs and support. So, I mean, one of the things about sevens is that they're very, they don't really sacrifice their desires. No, uh, it's just in the social seven, often the, their own desires are in sync with other people's, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like this, yeah, this sense of like this sacrifice thing. It doesn't, it, it sounds like a, a two or it sounds like a, a, a seven stressing to one. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the full description here and it says that the social sevens can actually be too pure. What? Their no. efforts to attain purity. <laughs> Can extend to worrying about their diet, their health, and their spirit. No, 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 no. Interestingly yeah. enough, <clears throat> Ranho notes that these sevens are often vegans. What the fuck is this bullshit? It's so random. It says in striving for purity and anti-gluttony, they express a kind of aesthetic, aesthetic or five-ish ideal. Um, they make a virtue of getting by on less for themselves and trying to prove their goodness. What the, this is some super ego bullshit. Right. It's it's like they're conscious of what their inner war is, is what they're trying to describe, which is bizarre. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. as yeah. if they know that they're a seven and they know that they're social. And so they're fighting, you know, the socials fighting the seven somehow. It's like automatically that that's their whole type is they know they're a seven. Yeah. <laughs> it says, even though they know they might want the biggest piece of cake, they go against that impulse and take yeah. the smallest one instead, leaving the largest portions for others. This is this is like this is ridiculous. This I is mean, ridiculous. Like I know I know some sevens that are like especially social sevens that are more reined in, but I could say the mm-hmm. same about self-pressed sevens too. Yep. Um mm-hmm. but I mean, God, there's some fucking insane gluttonous fucking partying social sevens. And like yep. I would say like the party archetype is social seven yes (laughs) yeah it's it's gluttonous about connections and like getting the party going like like being the life of the party yes yeah it's a big big invitation right Mm -hmm. like even if it's uh if there is like a social cause or whatever it's got that let's bring in everybody and you know have a good time yeah yeah Expand it. And I brought think, a second I cake, think, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I, I wanted the biggest piece. <laughs> and I think social sevens are the most obnoxious because that their oh, seven is, is showing up mostly in, in the social realm. And it's like you want to be attention grabbing and entertaining. So a lot of the the notorious sevens that we know in the media who are like talk show hosts and things like that, 
um, are social sevens because they want to impact the social sphere and, you know, sevens, all sevens are obnoxious to some degree. I mean, that's <laughs> so, some of the most obnoxious human beings you'll ever meet are going to be biggest trolls are going to be social sevens. Like, come on. Yeah. I think part of the thing is that like, uh, we all know sevens that are not obnoxious party heads, you know, like right. we all know sevens totally. that have like, that are, you For know, sure. like real responsible, heartfelt, whatever. And we know sevens that are like insane partiers and we know sevens that have been both in their lives. Yep. And so you don't need to invent a whole new type to account for like why somebody is more of a, like a sober personality versus more of a partier. It's and almost like, identifying a life phase. Right. Like, yeah. A life phase or like just uh, a confluence of, of somebody's upbringing. Like mm -hmm. the, so it's not the outer thing is not what makes the type. Like even though there are outer signs and outer tendencies and blah, 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 blah. It's like this, there's a structure between where gluttony and the social instinct interface and, and freedom, this essential quality, like how they're seeking fr essential freedom through the social instinct. And that's going to vary seven by seven. That's going to vary in every type. It's going to have a, a, like a different sort of imprint or definition for how they're getting their essential quality met. So, or they think they can get their essential quality met through the dominant instinct. But um, you got to keep to that structure. You can't just be like, oh, well, I can't explain why I'm seeing this. So let me make a whole type around it. Yeah. Well, even in the same fucking person, like, you know, someone can be an obnoxious party animal, but who also really right. cares about people and service and that kind yep. of like a social right. seven totally. could be a party animal on the weekend and be, you know, a volunteer at some fucking nonprofit during the week. You know, that could be the same person. You don't have to yep. come up with this whole type out type type to describe that. I feel like that's a pretty common combination. Like it's not. It's not crazy to think that that could happen. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It's crazy to think that one, a person could be only one all the time. Yeah. Exactly. That's why these descriptions suck. They're not describing, you know, the complexity of human beings. They're just painting a, a very limited cartoon that's not even based on something real. You know, you might feel that way some portion of your life and you're reading the description and you're like, yeah, I relate to that. But I don't think anyone who relates to these descriptions can actually feel comfortable and solid in what they're reading because they've got to know on some level that this is a very limited description. It doesn't really describe something real. Well, I think that's why a lot of people think that their type or their, um, their like instinctual stacking changes over time. Mm. Like that's a very mm -hmm. common mm -hmm. question. They're like, Oh, can this change? It's like, no. Good well, point. it was completely different. Yeah. Right. It's the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Because that's not, it's not describing a structure because if you could see, type as a structure then you'd understand that oh this is what i've been working with my whole life and it's never going to change <laughs> right <laughs> well i mean yeah, and i mean will that, never grow and shift as a person i guess there's a larger point of why like why are we sitting here criticizing this work like yeah it's kind of funny yeah maybe it's not accurate but like what the real point is that i think that descriptions like these where uh there's there like widely disseminated and and you know given this lot of like like in a book and published people keep publishing enneagram stuff or keep sharing enneagram stuff that doesn't fit anything that it's it's like which which has contributes to a larger problem of muddying the capacity of the enneagram to help us see and to help us awaken and to help us grow in a real way and transform like 
if we're working with, oh, I'm a long suffering self-pres sunny four, like what are you seeing? You're not seeing <laughs> fourness. You're not seeing self-pres. You're not seeing, you know, you're you. It's it's just it's obfuscating the clarity and precision that the enneagram really has. And so, like I don't know. I I assume that people listening might think we're being harsh or something, or some people might think we're being harsh or whatever. And I mean, maybe we are, but I think it's... I don't think so. I don't think yeah, we're being harsh. I don't think so either, because I think that there is like a... Enneagram, like, even though we use a lot of humor and stuff like that, it's a real responsibility to transmit and to be curious about and to teach and talk about. And I, I like, personally, like, I just feel like since I've gotten into the Enneagram since high school, I, I've, it's just been kind of... Uh, the lack of seriousness in terms of trying to be curious. This like the serious curiosity is like really lacking. I was like, people just try to make description, 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 and put, put in a book or something. And I don't know what the purpose is. If the purpose is to put it in a book or purpose is to, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, but I, I, I get upset about the, um, the way it just muddies the waters of what the Enneagram can be for people. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I want to say that, because I, I got into the Enneagram, I don't know, over 10 years ago, and there was a sincere effort on my part to understand the Enneagram, to understand the types. And so you, what do you do? You read the websites, you get a hold of the most popular books, and you read, and you pick up a book like, you know, this book, and you're looking at, someone put a lot of work into this, it's like 300 fucking pages a lot of descriptions. And if you're new to the Enneagram, you're going to take this, this person seriously, this author seriously. This is a, a widely spread and talked about book. And you're trying to figure your shit out and you're reading this stuff. You're going to get lost. And it was just so frustrating to read this book and to reference this book for like a year. And then to, at some point realized that what I was reading was garbage and to actually really study it and get to the eight descriptions. And I'm like, I don't know the Enneagram well enough. But I at least know that this is ridiculous, that there's no way a real person like this can exist, um, like the sexual aid description. And so it can be really, really frustrating if you're trying to understand the Enneagram, that you're looking at well-respected sources that are just peddling garbage, basically. And so I might, you know, we might seem like we're being harsh, but I think it's important to to really let people know, like, what's good information, what's not. Because if you're trying to understand the Enneagram, I think you, if you're smart, and you're looking at looking, you get a hold of the best sources. I think you can understand the Enneagram within a year or two of serious studying. But if you don't have access to the, to the right sources and you've been reading garbage like this, it might take you four or five years before you get anywhere. So that's the aspect of it that I get really upset about is we should denigrate bad information so people can find their way to the good information so they can make use of this powerful system that can really help them recognize their type and then help them do the inner work to get to grow but it's a non-starter if you're working with garbage like this you can't get anywhere with this i also like i mean it has to do with like the era that a lot of the enneagram stuff has developed in like you know like before the internet was big all these books were getting published and materials being disseminated between like basically like people who knew each other in person so like people Mm -hmm. in the same socioeconomic background and point of view and professionalism and blah, 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 blah. And like trying to be colleagues with each other and stuff like this. And so I think that there's been like a lack of like sincere criticism of Enneagram material Mm -hmm. and, you know, in which I understand like people want to be respectful to each other and whatever, but like in any, like any discipline, there's got to be criticism and, and really direct criticism. And 
I think you, I think criticism is important and necessary and like our work needs to be criticized too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, if you do, you're wrong, but, uh, I'm just kidding. So anyway, I think there's, there's just been this, this weird glossy thing that you see where people are all sort of trying to get along and not, not tell each other that there's, there's an issue with each other's work or something like that to a point that I think mm-hmm. is watered down a lot of the material that's out there. Cause it's like, Oh, we're all trying to occupy the same space and the same thing. And you, you got to be able to make distinctions. It's the Enneagram is about distinction. And the Enneagram's hitting at, you know, you're already in the dark. I mean, you know what I mean? Like this is the unconscious structures, uh, you know, in the dark, right? So yeah. more um, lack of clarity is, <laughs> you know, it's just really exasperating the problem of uh, just how invisible this whole territory is on one level. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's really important. I've, I've, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people who've found our podcast or our group or website and said that they were getting really bored with the Enneagram. And I was like, no, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised because if you couldn't see any of these types clearly and see your own type clearly, you wouldn't get how powerful the Enneagram is. Like it would just be like a collection of fucking bullshit descriptions and you're like, okay, whatever, like any other typology. But um, we get a lot of feedback from people sometimes who, you I know, mean, maybe who come to us, uh, any grammar to be typed. And for the first time, they've been typed accurately. And they, uh, we just had a recent one where this person realized that they had been, you know, all these long patterns that they've been exhibiting their whole lives, like it's finally explained by the correct typing. And experiences like that are life-changing. I mean, I think if you can get not only recognize your own type, but also get an accurate description of that type, that's a life-changing experience. And you would be bored with the Enneagram if you didn't really see the types accurately. It wouldn't, this system wouldn't be anything to talk about. Right. Um, It's really critical, not only accurate typing, but like accurate fucking descriptions so people can get somewhere. Um, and, and even even just figuring out what your type is, this is like step number one, but it's such an important step because you can't really know what to work on if you're, if you think you're a four, but you're actually a seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It just contributes to mental spinning rather than increasing your awareness. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yes, yeah, we have every right to denigrate this piece of shit garbage book because it is piece of shit garbage <laughs> book. <laughs> you mean that? Respectfully, I'm sure. <laughs> Respectfully. <laughs> As a colleague. <laughs> As a colleague. <laughs> just, just giving pure criticism. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know why why people are getting so so butthurt, so sensitive about this. Such snowflakes. Yeah. They can do a podcast about our, our stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go yeah. for it. Oh my God. I would that would be that. Oh, the Incurious Podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like it's happened before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Later. Later. Bye. Bye. Bye.